going back to my analogy about the burning fire of information, this would be akin to a fire brigade putting out a fire. And it turns out that omega-3s actually can drive that process. Omega-3s can drive the resolution of information. Hello, and welcome to the science and the story behind Omega-3, a podcast brought to you by Wiley Companies, where we explore one of the most researched nutrients on the planet. Listen in as global omega-3 experts and researchers translate the science, reveal personal insights, and share their stories of discovery while navigating the sea of omega-3 science. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's your host, Greg Lindsay. Ah, yes. Welcome back to another episode of the science and the story behind Omega-3, where we talk with experts from all over the world. And my guest today is certainly no exception. He is the professor of nutritional immunology in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Southampton, an internationally recognized researcher on omega-3 fatty acids and the influence of diet and nutrients on immune and inflammatory responses, and his work has been cited over 37,000 times. To discuss the important role omega-3 has in inflammation and the immune system, please welcome to the program Dr. Philip Calder. Dr. Calder, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks, Greg. It's great to be here with you. So I'd love to jump right into omega-3s. It's often said that omega-3s are anti-inflammatory, but I also hear they support immune function. So I'd, I'd love for you to explain this. Yeah, Greg, I'd like to do that. But I think maybe first we need to sort out what's meant by immunity and what's meant by inflammation. Are they the same thing? Are they different? How do they relate to one another? Well, that's perfect then will you please explain the difference between inflammation and immunity? Yeah, sure, sure. So the immune system is what the body uses to protect itself against pathogens, things like bacteria and viruses and so on. So immunity is really our host defense mechanism to prevent infections. The immune system also helps us deal with foods and other things in the environment. So it's pretty sophisticated in its actions. And it involves many different components, many different cell types. Now, it turns out that inflammation is actually part of immunity. It's not the same thing. It's one component of immunity. And inflammation helps us defend ourselves. But also, I think we're probably going to go on and talk about some other aspects where inflammation is involved as well. So one way to think of it perhaps is inflammation is a part of the immune response but it's not the entire immune response. So, so when does inflammation occur? Yeah, so when inflammation is uh, acting the way it should, the way it was designed to, it's part of the very rapid response to infection or to some other insult. So people might think about, oh, if I get an insect bite or if I cut myself or, you know, I bang my thumb when I'm hammering a nail or something, inflammation kicks in straight away. It kicks in actually within seconds. And the things associated with those unfortunate incidents that I've talked about, the redness, the swelling, the pain, the loss of function, those are the cardinal signs of inflammation. Now, they're designed to protect us. 
but immediately you see inflammation happens very quickly. And if things are working well, it will go away again in time, often again within minutes, but it may take hours or maybe even days if it's been a bad insult. But that's the timeline for inflammation when it's behaving as it should. Kicks in quickly, helps protect ourselves. For example, if we cut our skin, there could be bacteria around. And then when uh, things are meant to return to normal, inflammation goes away again. So I think people hear inflammation and they automatically think harmful, but I'd love for you to dig in a little bit more. Is it helpful? Is it harmful? It sounds like it can be both. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that's right, Greg. So inflammation is really, it's a double-edged sword. It has its helpful side and it has its harmful side. And I think when we talk about omega-3s, we can try to see how they fit in with that picture. So, so far, I've presented the idea that inflammation helps us deal with harmful incidents, like cutting ourselves, getting infected, stuff like that where the inflammation is there as part of the immune response to protect us. As I mentioned, inflammation should run its course and then go away again. So that's the good side of inflammation. Now, inflammation can become harmful if it continues for too long, okay? Because inflammation is really about creating an environment which is dangerous to bacteria, for example. And that means it can also be dangerous to our own cells. So when it runs its course, it should go away. That's called resolution of inflammation. If inflammation doesn't resolve, in other words, if it just carries on, it can become harmful. So there is the good and the bad of inflammation. So one way to think of it is if inflammation is present, is occurring, when it doesn't really need to be, then it can be harmful to us. And in fact, there are some diseases that are caused by inflammation happening when it shouldn't happen. And I'm not trying to take the conversation in a pessimistic way, but when inflammation goes bad, I think is what I want to know a little bit more about. Yeah. Yeah. So as I mentioned, Greg, inflammation is designed to help us defend against bacteria, other insults in the environment. And therefore, uh, so inflammation isn't passive, it's active, and it sets out to be destructive. So, for example, part of the inflammatory response involves the generation of chemicals which are toxic, things like uh, reactive oxygen species, hydrogen peroxide, noxious uh, chemicals, histamine is another one which people might have heard of, uh, and allergic responses, which are also inflammation. So those chemicals are designed to be dangerous. As I mentioned, they can be dangerous to us as well. And what that means is Inflammation in the wrong time, in the right place, can be damaging to our own cells. So it can actually create pathology. So we can damage our own cells. We can cause pathological changes, some of which can be rather severe. So maybe we can swing back to omega-3s. And are they anti-inflammatory? Or maybe you can explain how omega-3s react to this. Yeah, yeah. I will do that, Greg, but I realize I didn't fully answer your last question. Fair enough. <laughs> so rheumatoid arthritis, for example, where the inflammation is destroying the person's own joints, for example. So that's inflammation gone bad, targeted against the joints. Inflammatory bowel diseases, that's inflammation targeted against our own gut wall. So we get pathology in the gut wall. 
I mentioned allergies. The allergic response is inflammation. So you might imagine um, skin swelling, lip swelling, those sorts of things. Asthma is an allergic reaction in the lungs. And in 2020, of course, we're familiar with the COVID-19 problem, and people will have heard of the cytokine storm in really severe COVID-19 patients. Cytokines are proteins produced by inflammation. So the cytokine storm of COVID-19 is actually a really severe inflammatory response targeting the lungs of those patients. We call this high-grade inflammation. Something really bad is going on. But there's also what people call low-grade inflammation. So I prefer to think of that as silent inflammation. And this is where inflammation is low-level but can happen over a very prolonged period of time and also becomes pathological. So, for example, heart disease involves inflammation in the blood vessel walls taking place over a period of years. Cognitive decline involves low-grade inflammation in the brain, destroying neurons, for example. So we have this high-grade inflammation, which is really pathological, like arthritis, and then we have the low-grade slow-burn inflammation, if you like, like heart disease and cognitive decline. So this allows me to move on to your next question, which is omega-3s. So one of the first discoveries with omega-3s going back decades was they help to dampen inflammation. And they do that because they can reduce the production of many of the chemicals that are involved in the inflammatory process. And that's where this idea of omega-3s being anti-inflammatory comes in. So people describe these effects as anti-inflammatory. So omega-3s are acting against inflammation. They're actually helping the body to control inflammation, to dampen inflammation. And if you imagine uh, inflammation as a fire, for example, burning in the joints of someone with arthritis or in the lungs of someone with asthma, omega-3s sort of help to put out the fire a little bit. So they dampen the inflammatory response. And that's through their effects on chemicals that are involved in inflammation. Well, Dr. Calder, thank you. So uh, omega-3 can actually turn off inflammation. Then can you say a little more about that and, and why it's so important? Yeah, yeah. So thanks for picking up on that, Greg. So, so I just mentioned the role of omega-3s in dampening inflammation. So that was sort of the calming of inflammation through the ability to decrease the production of some of the chemicals involved in inflammation. These chemicals are things like prostaglandins, for example, some cytokines. These are sort of fancy names, but um, these are chemicals involved in inflammation. So that's the sort of the classic anti-inflammatory role. But something perhaps even more important has been discovered in the last few decades, which your question is bringing to the fore. And that's the ability of omega-3s to actually turn off inflammation. And I mentioned the importance of inflammation running its course and then settling down again. And I use the word resolution. So the resolution of inflammation is the turning off of the inflammatory response. And going back to my analogy about the burning fire of inflammation, this would be akin to a fire brigade putting out a fire. And it turns out that omega-3s actually can drive that process. Omega-3s can drive the resolution of inflammation. 
And this comes about because there are very special chemicals just discovered in the last 20 years that are produced from omega-3s, that are produced from both EPA and DHA, that are the chemicals perhaps amongst the most important chemicals in the body that turn off inflammation. And these chemicals have been given the names like resolvins because they resolve inflammation, that is, they turn inflammation off, protectins because they protect from inflammation, and maresins. So these are pro-resolution chemicals. These are the fire brigade of the inflammatory response. They put out the burning fire of inflammation. And the really important thing to keep in mind is these chemicals are produced from omega-3s, EPA, and DHA. So a question of has and how, I guess, have people been tested with inflammation as it relates to omega-3? Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned earlier on, Greg, that the anti-inflammatory effects of omega-3s were amongst the first biological actions that were discovered for omega-3s. And the doctors involved in rheumatology, the rheumatologists were very quick to get onto the omega-3 story. And that's because they knew in the early 1980s, late 1970s, early 1980s, that chemicals produced from omega-6 fatty acids, so the other omega family, the omega-6 fatty acids, some of those chemicals were actually involved in causing inflammation. And they knew that omega-3s could decrease the production of those chemicals. So in other words, some sort of rebalancing between the omega-6s and omega-3s, they thought could be important in controlling inflammation. So American rheumatologists actually did the first trials of omega-3s in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. And typically, they used rather high doses of omega-3s in clinical trials of patients with arthritis. And um, many such trials have been done since the mid-1980s right up to date. And these trials often have shown that um, omega-3s at pretty high doses can help in, let's call it the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. So they, they can reduce the pain of arthritis. They can reduce some of the problems like um, stiff joints, particularly when people get up in the morning and feel very stiff. Omega-3s have been shown to reduce that. So arthritis is one disease where omega-3s are um, pretty useful. We've done some recent studies ourselves in arthritis with omega-3s. Um, inflammatory bowel disease is another where, again, there are positive studies, although there's also some inconsistency in the literature. There are trials in asthma. And of course, I mentioned silent inflammation. And we know that omega-3s are really important in protecting against heart disease. And I think some of that protective effect could be because of the dampening of the silent inflammation. So certainly there are plenty of clinical applications of the anti-inflammatory and pro-resolving actions of omega-3s. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Uh, 
I don't know if this is a question that you're able to answer, but I think it's a question that people may have is how much omega-3 do you think people need to help control inflammation? Yeah, yeah. This is a question people often ask, uh, maybe because it's the obvious one. And I already alluded to the fact that these trials in patients with frank chronic inflammation have used high doses. And typically they've used several grams of EPA plus DHA per day. I think to control inflammation, certainly you need at least a gram a day, I think. Maybe you need more than that. Um, I mean, people haven't done good dose-finding studies, but I think we're talking a gram a day or more. I mean, the trials in arthritis, some of them have actually used three or four grams of EPA plus DHA per day, um, which, of course, is a dose you can use for treating triglycerides, uh, even now in 2021. So somewhere in this, this range of a gram or more per day, I think, is needed. Okay. You reference EPA and DHA. Is one more important in controlling inflammation? Yeah, that's a good question, Greg. So if you'd asked me that question 20 years ago, I would have said EPA is the anti-inflammatory omega-3 fatty acid. And that's because EPA is very good at reducing the production of chemicals involved in inflammation such as the prostaglandins produced from omega-6 fatty acids. So EPA certainly is anti-inflammatory, but these pro-resolving chemicals I mentioned, the resolvins, the protectins, the maresins, some of them are produced from EPA and some of them are produced from DHA. And they're both the EPA-derived ones and the DHA-derived ones are both bioactive and they're both effective, at least in, in model systems. And so what that tells me is probably both EPA and DHA are important in the body's battle with adverse inflammation. So I don't think I would swing one way or another anymore. I think they both have their roles and they're both important. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's helpful. We also hear that omega-3s have a role in immunity. Mm. So I guess the, the question, do they? Yeah. So people have been, this idea of omega-3s controlling inflammation and the pro-resolving effects and so on, they've been investigated really intensively over decades now. So we know a lot about the roles of omega-3s in inflammation. The effects on the other parts of immunity, by which I mean things like how lymphocytes function, how well vaccines work, whether omega-3s have a role in reducing infections have been rather less explored. But there are human trials in this area. So certainly omega-3s can control how different lymphocytes work, T-cells, B-cells, people might have heard of, how they work. And there is some nice data on omega-3s and infections. And remember, the immune system mainly is protecting us against infections. So there are some trials often done in children uh, because children are one group of the population who can be at risk of infections. Of course, the other group is uh, older people. So there are supplementation trials of omega-3s in children. There's one in uh, Thai in Thailand. There's one in South Africa. There are also trials of omega-3s in infants. And these trials have shown, in, these are placebo-controlled trials, 
So you have one group of children taking omega-3s and another group taking some sort of placebo that might be, um, you know, corn oil or something like that. And these trials have demonstrated reduced numbers of infections, and these are usually respiratory infections, so reduced numbers and shorter duration of respiratory infections in children receiving omega-3s compared to placebo. Um, I'm not aware of such trials in older adults, um, and I think that's a gap in the literature, but I'm pretty convinced that omega-3s do have a role in supporting the immune response in its action to deal with organisms that threaten us uh, alongside this well-described effect on, on inflammation. I think another question that our listeners will have, because all people are different, do you think the effects of omega-3 on immunity and inflammation might be different in different people? Yeah, I think that's a good question. So we're talking about the role of omega-3s in protecting people against disease, maybe using them in times of increased susceptibility. And I think not everyone is going to be responsive to the same extent or the same dose of omega-3s may have slightly different effects in different individuals. And I think one of the reasons for this is other aspects of the diet. So I mentioned, for example, that chemicals produced from omega-6 fatty acids, well known to have roles in inflammation. And in effect, the way omega-3s are working is to sort of rebalance the omega-6 to omega-3 availability in the body. So you might imagine in people who have a very high omega-6 diet, Omega-3s may struggle to have their effect, whereas in people with a low omega-6 diet, omega-3s might have their effect more easily. So I think when I talk about background diet, I would want to think about the omega-6 content of the diet, maybe other fatty acids, maybe saturated fatty acids, which are known to be pro-inflammatory. Again, saturated fatty acid intake, omega-3s may have a different effect against that. Maybe antioxidants could be important in determining how omega-3s are working. So certainly other aspects of diet, maybe something to do with genes, because we know that people's genes predispose them, obviously, to different illnesses, but also their genes control their immune responses, their inflammatory responses. And interestingly, people's genes also control how well they respond to dietary factors. So this is described for some vitamins, for minerals, but also for omega-3s. So um, we and others have actually published research where we looked at whether people with different genetic makeups responded the same way to omega-3s in the context of inflammatory responses. And we found there was a, we call it an interaction. That is, omega-3s work a little bit differently depending upon the person's genetic makeup. So these are the sorts of things that, you know, lead us to think, you know, a dose of omega-3s is not going to be the same in every different person. Of course, that complicates things when people think about what should I eat or, um, you know, should I use a supplement or not? Those, you know, dietary recommendations and the way supplements are, are um, formulated are sort of a one-size-fits-all. And... I think people probably realize that, um, you know, life is more complicated than that. 
but different people have different requirements. I think this is some of the future, Greg, maybe a bit more. It's called personalization of nutrition. But certainly I wouldn't say, you know, if one gram of EPA plus DHA was effective in one person, that exactly one gram would be effective in another person. You know, they may need 1.5 grams or they may actually only need half a gram uh, because of these variations that we've been talking about. Very helpful, Dr. Calder. So what about plant omega-3s and what role do they have? Yeah. So this is, um, this is the perennial question, Greg, because in our diet, we know seafood, especially what we call fatty fish or oily fish, is the main source of EPA and DHA. And most people don't eat enough of that sort of fish. They don't like it. Uh, they can't afford it. Uh, they weren't brought up with it, so they're not used to it. They live too far from the sea, so if they get it, it's not fresh. So most people don't eat enough fish, and therefore most people don't get enough omega-3s. And many countries have recommendations for omega-3 intake, uh, including the US, the UK. Most people don't meet those recommendations, okay? so. If we're thinking, of course, they can meet those recommendations if they use omega-3 supplements. Uh, so that's one way to do it. But there is a, there's always this question that actually plants make omega-3s as well. Plants don't make EPA and DHA. Um, we have to get those from fish or, or from algae. So algae can make EPA and DHA. But plants, the sort of plants we're thinking about, land plants, they don't make EPA and DHA, but they make other forms of omega-3. So the most common one in plants is called alpha-linolenic acid. And in our body, we can make the plant omega-3 alpha-linolenic acid into EPA. We can do that in our own bodies. But in as far as we know, most people are actually not very good at doing that. So, And they certainly are not very good at making DHA, which is uh, further along the metabolic pathway. So what I'm kind of saying is the plant omega-3s are not very good at acting as a substrate for us to produce our own EPA and DHA. That's the first point. The second point is, okay, do the plant omega-3s actually have health properties in their own right? Can they control inflammation in their own right? And I think the answer is, if they can, they're not very effective. And, you know, on another day, in another context, you know, I might say, actually, they're not that useful at all. So I think the genuine answer, Greg, is the plant omega-3s can't substitute for EPA and DHA. They may have a role in helping control omega-6 levels, but as a sort of a direct anti-inflammatory role, as a precursor for EPA and DHA, they're not really so useful. So I think, um, you know, preformed EPA and DHA are what we really need. What a timely and intriguing topic and subject matter today, Dr. Calder. It's just been fantastic. I want you to come back on because I really want to dig in more on the plant-based and versus fish-based versus supplements. Unfortunately, we've hit the end of our time today, but I did want to give you the opportunity because I've been asking all the questions. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about omega-3 and inflammation and immunity? Yeah. 
Yeah, thanks so much, Greg. It's been great talking to you. So, you know, our context has been inflammation and immunity, but I'm going to go outside of that because omega-3s are really important right across the breadth of our health and right across our life course. So from infancy to old age, EPA and DHA are really important in maintaining health, heart health, brain health, immune health, all of those things. So, you know, my main message would be people really need to think about ways to take on board preformed EPA and DHA to maintain their health. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. Calder. Thank you to our listeners today. What a great program. Can't wait to get Dr. Calder back on the show. As always, be healthy, be well, and fight the good fight. This has been the science and the story behind Omega-3. Thanks to our sponsor, Wiley Companies. You can find them and more information about our show at wileyco.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Any statements on this podcast are the opinion of the scientific guest and or author and have not yet been evaluated by the FDA. The information we may provide to you is designed for educational purposes only is not intended to be a substitute for informed medical advice or care. This information should not be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any health issues or conditions without consulting a healthcare professional. If you are experiencing a health issue or condition, we suggest you consult with your healthcare professional. 